Our scripture reading comes from the Gospels and the book of 1 Peter. I'm going to exercise the prerogative of the one standing up here now and amend the reading a little bit. I'm going to first read the passage from Luke, which is on the page you'll see there at the top, and extend it a little bit. And then I'm going to read the Peter passage. Uh, The Matthew passage we looked at quite extensively last week, and so I'm going to concentrate on these other two for the time being, and I think that's enough. Let us hear now the word of the Lord. This is the Lord now speaking to Simon Peter in the upper room on the occasion of what we know as the Last Supper. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I'll tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And then Peter's letter, chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to make this remark, and it probably doesn't belong at the opening. I should have a better opening than this. But it's a personal word to say to to you that it has been a joy for me to preach this summer, spring and summer, in this passage of the Word of God known as the first letter of Peter. It is a strong little epistle. It is rich, but the backbone and the foundation and the starch that is in this letter comes from the heart of a man who learned almost everything the hard way. This morning, this concludes my assignment of preaching in this epistle. You'll have another sermon or two, I think, coming up on the life of Peter, but Everything we see in this letter, we can almost always reference something back to an experience Peter had. We know more about him, as we've said, than we do any other apostle except maybe Paul. And he lived it. 
In this particular passage, he is giving two imperatives. He's telling the people to resist and to stand firm. To resist the adversary and to stand and to be firm in your faith. Peter was acquainted with the adversary. Satan not only tempted our Lord, as we saw last week, but he vexed the apostolic band, bringing to them time and again difficulties, suffering, setbacks, tortures. And in the case of most of the early generation of apostles and disciples, martyrdom. They died for their faith. Peter thought that he had that kind of faith. And faith, of course, is always a trust in and a commitment to God through Christ. And he was confident, Peter was, that he was going to stand firm, that he was tough, that he was made out of stern stuff. And he loved the Lord. And the Lord loved him. And the Lord is giving, in fact, the very next passage in, in this passage in Luke, the Lord talks about the scriptures being fulfilled, how that he would be numbered among the transgressors and he would be offered up and all of this. And Peter even earlier had had been rebuked by the Lord at the prompting of Satan. Peter had not wanted to see the Lord have that kind of future where he would be crucified. And the Lord rebuked him and Peter said, okay, if you're going to prison, if you're going to death, I'm right there with you. And the Lord knew Peter just like he knows us. He knows our frame. He knows we are feeble. He knows we are on our best day. Men and women of little faith. Literally micron faith. And he said, Peter, you won't even make it through this day without denying me, not once, but thrice. And here's what the Lord said. He said, Satan has demanded to have you. God, doesn't that just put a, a chill up your spine? That your adversary, the devil that we spoke of extensively last week, the, the one who came to steal and to kill and to destroy, and how's those numerous names that we enumerated that all mean destruction. He's an accuser. He's a slanderer. He's everything that Christ is not. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, but it doesn't it just put a chill up your spine to know that Satan thinks he has the right to demand you. 
We saw last week he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the, he has enormous powers. He's a created being, but he was given enormous powers at his creation. And he has used them for his diabolical purpose all throughout human history. He was the snake in the garden. He's the dragon in the apocalypse. And he has slithered and slammed his way through all of human history. And he does it in our own lives. He thinks he owns us. He thinks he's got a right to us. And sadly, in most cases with most people, he seems to have his sway in their lives. What's the difference? The only difference is the intercessory work of Christ himself. The Lord said to Peter, and I think he says to us, I have prayed for you. It's the prayers of our Savior that pull us through. King David rescued the little lamb from the jaws of the lion. And in so doing, he was a type of Christ rescuing us from the jaws of the devouring lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's got his sights on all of us. The Lord even challenged him one time and said, hast thou considered my servant Job? I know you're looking at everybody. What do you think about Job? Satan demands us. He wants us. And but for Christ and his intercessory work, his priestly work on our behalf, are we spared? Are we rescued? Christ is our advocate. The word that's used in the Peter text is the word you're familiar with. It's the word parakletos or paraclete. You all know what it means. It comes a compound word from alongside and to call. And literally that's what it is. It's to call someone alongside of you. It's, it's a, a forensic term. It's the picture of an attorney standing before a judge at the bar with the accused client at his side. And that's who Satan is. He's a slanderer. He is an accuser of the brethren. He wants to bring a case to you that will satisfy the justice of God for your destruction. And the only thing that keeps him from making that case is the intercessory, mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. Christ gave himself for you. Whatever demand the law of God would make upon you that would indict and convict you and condemn you to a sentence of death. Christ has received that sentence in his body on the tree, dying in your place. Whatever evidence there is against you that can be brought into that great assize before the Lord, the judge, the righteous judge, Whatever evidence that can be brought, your sins, 
Exhibit A, sin number one. <laughs> Exhibit B, sin number, oh, don't you just sort of dread the thought of, of your sinful life being laid out as exhibits in the court. But whatever evidence Satan has accumulated, whatever case he's made in his slanderous accusations, that evidence has been destroyed. It's been washed over with the crimson blood of Christ. It's been removed as far as the east is from the west. It's been plunged into the deepest sea. And God has a case of amnesia. He can't remember them against you anymore because of Christ, His intercessory work on your behalf. I have prayed for you. I have given my life for you. And I stand now at the right hand of God in a ministry. We call it the session of Christ. His being seated at the right hand of God in a place of authority. And He is conducting Every day, a defense against the perfect justice of God, He defends us and He protects us from the accuser. Satan can't lay a glove on us. He can't harm us. He can't get us. He is not going to be successful. Oh, if this wasn't a Presbyterian church, somebody ought to shout right there. For a moment, I wished I was in a Methodist church about 75 years ago. I would have heard somebody shout. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. In Him by faith, drawn in by love, purged, bought with a price, redeemed, and wholly incorporated into Him. Now, let me just briefly mention, interesting, you know how I like to give you some definitions of words, but it's interesting that in this text, it says, resist him, be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This particular set of words, the resist means to stand up against. It's, it's a military term. It's to, it, it, it's to fortify, to make a defense and to stand up. Since we know that Satan is a defeated foe and a conquered enemy, since we know there is victory in Jesus, we still must stand, we still must fight. We have before us the struggle, the battle, the suffering. We're going to take some blows. He's going to get his teeth into us. He's going to get a good crunch out of a, a leg or an arm. But he's not going to get us. He's not going to get us. We are secure completely in Christ. It says, resist him, stand firm in your faith. Remember, that's what Jesus said. I, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith do not, does not fail. That's what the Lord, we have to have that faith. But isn't it wonderful to know that that little faith, that failing faith, that alloyed faith with unbelief, is a faith that is strengthened by the Lord. And that's really what the word here means, to stand firm. It means to harden, to make solid, like building a foundation, to be steadfast. Literally, it means, and this has a negative connotation, but I like it. It says stubborn, stubborn, a stout, 
stubborn faith, a faith that will get in the face of Satan, not in our own strength and power. We have as much power against Satan as David had against Goliath. Not much. We're outmanned and outgunned at every turn, but we have the Lord praying for us. A good word here would be an old-fashioned word. My dad used to use it all the time, and I don't know how many of us even use it. Stalwart. A stalwart faith. A faith that stands. Where are we going to get that kind of faith, Ron? Well, let's just read that 10th verse as we conclude this part of the, the study in Peter. The God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself. That's where it's coming from. It's coming from God Himself. He grants it to us. He is the God of all grace. The word grace is the word gift. It's another one of the gifts that He bestows upon us. It is Him Himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish the word restore means to mend. Oh, we're all broken pieces of pottery that the master picks up the pieces and puts us back together. That's exactly what the Lord told Peter. He said, when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. And that's what's being done here. Make, it means, restore means to make capable and to set right. To confirm means to strengthen, to support, to reinforce, shore up. To strengthen means to make firm and solid. And finally, the word establish is this, this uh, um, fourfold uh, work of the Lord in our life. It means to make solid. It's really a word that means foundation, rock, stone, stone solid. Have the Lord look at us like he did and say, thou art Peter, a stone, a rock. And that's who we are in Christ. And that's why we can't help but do what Peter does here in verse 11. To him be the dominion. We're talking about warfare. We're talking about conquest. We're talking about victory. We're talking about an adversary that we have overcome. We're talking about someone that's out to seize our souls and we have been victorious in Christ. To Him be dominion forever and ever. You can only follow that with an amen.